Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Uh, the show you're about to hear was previously broadcast on the 16th of January 2020, and I hope that you'll enjoy listening to it again. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present, and to acknowledge that this land was stolen, that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, I'd like to welcome Carol and Peter to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, They're alcoholics and they're recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So the format of the show is basically... We talk about growing up, getting into alcohol, how, what happens to your life, and finding AA. So that's sort of the, the broad story. So, Carol, do you want to sort of talk about what family was like and, and growing your early growing up years? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, good afternoon. I'm, yeah, Carol, I'm a fortunate, uh, you know, alcoholic up to this point in time. What it was like for me growing up, I was first introduced to alcohol at quite a young, um, ripe age, and uh, it was around the, the age of about 12, and that's the most common age. Um, I came from a, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, dysfunctional background, and uh, I had a father who was quite um, tyrant, and uh, he ruled the roost. Um, I was, you know, and I was given, uh, you know, my first uh, taste of alcohol, at 12, um, from that, I just found that I gravitated to, um, you know, alcohol. I liked the taste. I really, really liked the effect. Um, and it took me into such a, a fantasy world that um, I had no, uh, you know, pre, you know, preconceptions about alcohol. I knew that when I put it in my system, I would have to, uh, you know, at such a young age, I was capable of about, you know, doing anything at any time. And, um, you know, along the way was to find like-minded people like, you know, myself. And um, it took me on a span of about 24 and a half years. And, uh, you know, um, it's a horrible, horrible illness. It took me to, um, you know, degradation, despair, homelessness, um, running from life, running from death, and uh, couldn't understand that, you know, it was the first fatal drink. Yeah. Okay. Um, So growing up then, what was your family like? My family life was, um, you know, as I said, uh, you know, it was quite dysfunctional. There wasn't much um, emotion or feeling, uh, you know, presented to me. Um, I was a person I believe was the black sheep of the family, and it was just tucked away, you know, nobody really uh, spoke about, uh, you know, like my father and um, the way he carried on and my mother sort of lived in um, constant fear 
and she kept me by her side for you know the best part of my childhood and I fell now when I reflect back um, that I was robbed of my childhood yeah that's not a good feeling is it it was a horrible feeling mm. um, I couldn't see it back then because it seemed the norm but yeah as you go through life and uh, things are presented and you see the way life is it was horrific for me mm. so did you get any respite at school Oh, I sort of got respite by uh, finding, um, yeah, I just found that I, I could, uh, you know, mix in well with people, um, you know, and I just found, yeah, that it was a, like an escape route for me, but I didn't have a, you know, a very good concentration span. I've, I was always glaring out the window or I was always, my mind was here, there, you know, and everywhere. Um, even though I did retain good marks, um, but yeah, it's just uh, distracted. I was very uh, confused and distracted by you know what was happening at home, so I couldn't really present and I couldn't really um, yeah, I just couldn't get what I needed from school. So after school, I'd find uh, you know people like you know myself, and we couldn't wait to you know get into alcohol. Yep. So were you? Did you try and get out of home? I did. Um, I couldn't wait to leave home, and that was around about, yeah, 15, 16. Um, to me, it was an escape route. Um, so, again, I found a family that were entrenched in alcohol, and I, I sort of, uh, you know, fitted in there like a hand in a glove. And, uh, you know, to the detriment of my own life and my own suffering, um, I just went on, you know, my merry way. Yeah. Okay. Um, so across to you, Peter. So what was life like growing up for you? Oh, as a kid growing up, I felt insecure, um, an unachiever. Um, yeah, I just didn't feel like I fitted in anywhere. I felt like, um, yeah, there was more to life than, um, than what life was dishing out to me. I felt that um, I wasn't smart enough. Um, I grew up in the western suburbs. And um, I felt all my friends and mates around me were, were better than me. Um, and that's the way it rolled, you know, for a lot of years. Um, I grew up in a environment, a family environment, that um, the common catchphrase at home was, don't tell your father. And, um, and booze was very much instrumental in my family back then. Um, and to a kid growing up, I thought that was normal. I thought that was normal stuff. Yeah. So how often did your dad drink? He always worked, and I guess I followed his mantra. Um, he always worked hard, and um, he'd cut loose on a Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, and um, he'd drink, stop drinking about Sunday afternoon, and, um, you know, there was violence and um, arguments, and, um, you know, I lived in fear. And, um, yeah, you know, I didn't realise at the time that, you know, at the age of um, 12 that I would pick up a drink and... Um, and continue that, that life like my father was, you know, the same sort of format. I, I worked hard, I went to school, I left school early, I worked hard and I picked up a drink early. And um, being a progressive illness, it just got worse. Yeah. So what <clears throat> what did the drink feel like when you, when you first had alcohol? My first drink, it took away all that fear of that insecurity and that I wasn't good enough and it allowed me to fit in. Um, it allowed me to mix it with my friends and, um, you know, think that I was special and different and, um, you know, it was that, um, I guess that change that we talk about, you know, it's um, alleviated all that um, guilt and fear 
and it it falsified my existence it, it made me feel better and um you know progressively got worse and i didn't realize it at the time i thought i was just um one of the regular boys having a drink just maybe a hard heavy drinker and um it progressively got worse okay um so if you started around 12 so you must have been drinking most of your high school years that's so, correct so what was that like um did it affect did how did it affect you as it affected me in all sorts of respect because you know i tried to study um and do degrees and booze come before that um you know i walked away from a lot of things that i i was attempting i was always attempting to try and better myself but booze always got in the way um and in the end i resided myself to the fact that um i you know growing up in the western suburbs i worked in factories all around the west and just figured that that was my lot you know that um at least i'm earning a dollar and um as long as i'm earning a dollar i can drink yeah and that's the way my life rolled right so what about relationships did you have close relationships I had girlfriends as such, and they accepted my behaviour. Um, you know, I I wasn't a violent drunk. Um, I was unpredictable. I was silly. I was crazy. I did silly things, <laughs> and I thought that was normal. You yeah. know, I thought that's normal stuff because I had friends that were like me. Um, a lot of my friends aren't alive today because of alcoholism and drugs. Um, but um, you know, it's progression. That's the thing that I was finding. You know, I got into um, I married my high school sweetheart and, um, you know, we were together from the age of 16 till the age of 23, um, divorced because I always thought the grass was greener on the other side. But, you know, once she left my life, um, the poor me set in and I, I drank even more. And as I said, it progressively got worse. And I didn't realise at the time that um, maybe booze has got something to do with this, this, this lifestyle that I'm living. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so back to you, Carol, then. Um so leaving home at a young age, so how did you support yourself? Uh, by, you know, whatever means I could. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a cashier's job. And, um, yeah, I was mainly just fueling my, um, if I, you know, look at it now, I was mainly just fueling my, you know, addiction because, um, you know, it was like an on-off week. If I didn't have money one week, uh, you know, my friends would sort of pitch in and, you know, cover me that way. But, and then, you know, once I got paid, I, I would return it back. So, yeah, it was just like, you know, a vicious cycle. Yeah. So did you find that alcohol <clears throat> impacted your work? Um, like, you know, initially not in the beginning it didn't. Um, I was able to bounce back, you know, after, you know, uh, like horrendous hang, you know, hangovers. I would just take, uh, you know, a couple of days off or something. But it was becoming more and more frequent where I was becoming, as it's been mentioned, you know, it is a progressive illness. And even way back then, I found myself that, um, yeah, my hangovers and my state of mind, my clarity of mind, um, my thought process was just skew whiff. You know, I had no concentration and how could I go to work and perform, you know, work and sometimes I, I would sort of push myself, um, you know, to go to work and I'd work under, you know, extreme duration and suffering and uh, I couldn't wait. I'd be watching the clock on the wall or I'd be watching, I'd be looking at uh, my own watch and I'd be thinking, well, I knock off at four and I just couldn't wait to get down to the closest, you know, local, uh, you know, um, bottle shop. Yep. And uh, 
I'd get a skin full, but it got that way that I had to go, you know, around to different bottle shops because they were getting to know me. Yes. And, uh, you know, I found myself that I was lying. I would say, oh, I'm having a party, and uh, the only party I was having was in my own head. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it was just... Um, it was a horrible, horrible existence, and especially having, you know, being a woman, it takes you to absolute degradation and despair. I wouldn't, you know, wish it on my worst enemy, but, you know, unfortunately I've been afflicted with it, and uh, I've been fortunate enough uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous and understanding the process, you know, a day at a time to try and recover. Yeah. So um, did you ever come in contact with the law? Oh, over... Many, many times, yeah. yeah. Um, my conduct of behaviour used to become extreme when I drank. You know, like initially I'd think to myself, I'll only have a few, but um, I would drink myself to absolute, um, you know, incomprehensible demoralisation. I could say, you know, to you that I'll, I'll meet you in such and such a hotel and I would have good intentions, but I would take, you know, three quarters of a day to get there because I was going yeah. along to different... Uh, establishments just to uh, socialise and meet, you know, so I thought were close friends and they were just uh, people that uh, were in hotels. Yes. (laughs) Strange about that. Uh, So did that result in any um, time inside? Um, I came very, very close. Um, I was always under the extreme... um, you know, they were, you know, they were always sort of uh, the law was always keeping a close eye on me because there were so many times I'd end up being so intoxicated that I'd be locked up in police cells, and um, I ended up in a place called, uh, you know, Winbira. Uh, that was back in probably the, you know, the 70s. But um, yeah, I came close a few times. Uh, you know, I was sort of, you know, reprimanded in front of judges. And told that I was a person who was who shouldn't touch, you know, alcohol. And uh, half the time I was half charged before I even fronted the magistrate. And uh, it still wouldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't concede to my innermost self that I had a problem. Mm. So did all your friends drink as well? Um, well, we sort of had a ritual. It was mainly every Friday, Saturday. Um, but, you know, along the way, most of my friends... Uh, well, so-called friends dropped off because uh, they couldn't keep up with me and um, I would have like a Jekyll and Hyde change. I would be, uh, you know, very nice and comforting and then all of a sudden I'd have one too many and I would switch and I became quite obnoxious to be around towards, uh, you know, my years of drinking and, um, you know, I didn't set out to be like that and I lost a lot of things that were near and dear. Um, you know, very much so because um, it was just something inside of me that would just demand that I drank. And that's what I even scared myself. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Um, Peter, over to you. Um, <clears throat> growing, uh, Working during the 80s, it was an interesting time because there wasn't any sort of control on alcohol during work hours like there is today. So what was it like working in the 80s with alcohol running free and having a problem with alcohol? My first job was at the abattoirs, and um, if you know the environment of the abattoirs, you know it's an early start in long neck bottles of beer. And um, my second job was in the the western suburbs. I won't name who the factory, but we had a wet bar, and um, yeah, it was based on drinking. And um, 
you know, I was a walk-up start to that job. I thought, how good is this? You know, I can work and drink. And um, it was a real chore to try not to, you know, get myself to the point where I couldn't function. And, you know, inevitably, once I got out of the work environment, I'd end up in a blackout. You know, if people don't know what a blackout is, it's where we're in a blackout or you don't know what you're doing. And that's the way my drinking was most occasions. Um, so it was very hard. It was, um, you know, virtually juggling cats to try and perform my duty and drink and not get to that stage where I was going to be in a blackout, in a psychosis or, um, yeah, out of control. So it's a hard way to live a life when you're, you're trying to function as a practicing alcoholic. Yeah, it is, I'm sure. Yeah, things have changed a lot. But, um, yeah, the culture certainly was, it was okay to drink and work. And it had some pretty serious ramifications for health and safety back then. Okay, well, listen, we might have a quick break. Our first song is by Simone Keane, and it's called Kari Trees in the Rain, and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Carry trees, they 
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au a 3CR supporter. You don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Um, I'm talking with Peter and Carol about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Carol, we sort of left you at the end of your teens, so what was life like in your 20s? Um, Yeah, thanks very much. What was life like in my 20s? Well, it wasn't what I pictured it. Um, It was pretty, for me, it was pretty wild and, you know, pegarious. Back then, I guess, um, yeah, I was around, uh, you know, Port Melbourne and... Um, yeah, they used to call, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, things going on there, but yeah, life in my twenties were, was, for me, it was out of control. Um, as I said, you know, every Friday, Saturday night, it was just, uh, you know, you couldn't wait to finish work and just go into the hotel and get a skin full. Um, there was many times where I'd drink to blackout. And, um, you know, I could wake up, you know, any time, anywhere. And, um, you know, I didn't like that because I liked to have my full, uh, you know, capacity and thoughts. And, um, yeah, that just went by the wayside. I just, um, I thought that was life back then. And I met some really undesirable people and I thought that was cool, um, you know, to blend in with, um, you know, sort of... uh, yeah, they're not so nice people, but yeah, I ended up by getting married at the age of about 24, and I uh, thought, well, I'll change my life completely. I'll clean it up, and um, I'll move on, and uh, I'll have a fresh start. And I moved over to um, Queensland and uh, proceeded there to, f- 
you know, to as I said, to have got married and uh, I had a little girl and um, I thought life would be fantastic. But again, you know, I found uh, that I couldn't, uh, you know, um, focus on what I needed to focus on. It was always about the alcohol and how I was going to get it. I became a morning drinker and uh, a top-up uh, drunk and um, I'd hide alcohol anywhere, you know, at any time and I'd do anything to get alcohol and um yeah it just wasn't really good my 20s was to me now it was like a massive blur um there's bits and pieces that i would fade in and out of i'd think you know did i say or do that and it was very embarrassing when i'd have people ring me up and say oh carol remember when you did that last night remember when you got on the tabletops and you know i was just um it was like lunatic soup, you know, you put it in my system and uh, I didn't have an off button, I didn't have a stop button and um, yeah, through that marriage, um, again I did another geographic, I sold the house and uh, that was for next to nothing and uh, I ended up in uh, a women's refuge with a three-year-old child and I returned back from Queensland on a bus and I thought again, um, you know, things would be better and different but I was just chasing my tail because... All I really cared about was how I was going to get alcohol. It wasn't that, um, you know, the commitment that I'd made to be a good wife or a good mother. I mean, that just went by the wayside. And I still today, after many years being in recovery, still have a lot of um, unresolved uh, issues and, you know, stuff around it. But, you know, I've moved on. And fortunately enough, you know, the other parties moved on too. So, yeah. Yeah. So what was it like? being an alcoholic with a young child um it was extremely hard because i didn't recognize myself that i was an alcoholic um even though i was in the midst of it with all seasonal drinkers because in queensland that's what they do um you know everyone drinks and uh, if you don't drink well then you, you know you're not part of the the culture but um yeah growing up as a woman alcoholic well, not growing up, bringing a child up as a, you know, woman alcoholic. I believe today what my daughter went through was horrendous. Um, you know, I wasn't there for her mentally or physically. I mean, I was there physically, but emotionally and mentally, I wasn't there. And uh, I deprived her, too, of her childhood, you know, because um, it was just about alcohol. And um, I couldn't meet her needs, and she suffered extreme you know extreme um hardship because there was no money and there was half the time there was no food on the table uh there was no clothes you know there was nothing and she had to survive and the way she's turned out today is miraculous you know mm. she's um a married you know she's married and uh she's happily married and um i have grandchildren today um so she had you know, she's gone ahead and, uh, you know, moved on with her own life. So, yeah, it's amazing, I suppose. But, it's good, yeah. isn't it? It yeah. shows that you, you're not, your family doesn't define you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Peter, how about you? So in your 20s, you, I think you said you, um, you got married and you lost a lot at 23. So what, were, what was the rest of your 20s like then? After that, it just went downhill from there. Um, sold the family house and um, ended up squandering it on um, on cars and booze and and ended up living in a pub in um, in Footscray. 
and um, you know it's the idyllic um, living standards for a practicing alcoholic yeah. living in a pub. I thought, how good's this? You know, I'm working in a factory and I was driving a taxi part time. And, um, yeah, there wasn't much cab driving because I um, wasn't all that sober to drive a cab. So, luckily, it was only a part-time job. But, um, yeah, as I said before, progressively got worse. And, um, you know, I was losing a lot of friends. I had one mate in the pub um, who took his life. He couldn't deal with um, with booze and, and drugs. And um, and it was sad, you know, I, I had so much time for that guy and, and I knew that, you know, my life was heading down the toilet too and um, I had to do something seriously about my alcoholism and um, there was a few times that I called Lifeline and eventually I went on to to call AA. And, and how, how did you find um, AA or how did you find going to AA was that an enjoyable experience for you? It was something that I needed to do um, because I was totally out of control. And, um, yeah, my first meeting I identified. Uh, the thing I do remember my first meeting was at Coburg and um, and I went into that meeting that night and back then and it was the smoking venue and I got the impression that the, the, the men and women were a lot older than me. It was back in the early 90s and... Um, but I identified at my first meeting, and um, you know I gave it the benefit of the doubt. And I had lost my license. I was taken to meetings by members, and um, you know they picked me up at night time and take me to different meetings around Melbourne. And I definitely identified at my first meeting, and um, it gave me hope at my first meeting. I, I, I could see that um, that these people were um, were sober and, and and living life and loving life, and it was a far better living than standards than all I had in my, my, my life like I was um, I was pretty destitute at the end and um, yeah I needed something you know something to work in my life but um, initially I didn't get it straight away you know I'm no walk up start you know there's not many people that are you know and I didn't get it straight away so what kept you going back simple um, I knew it was working I just had to keep keep working at it um, you know Fellowship sobriety for me, and I'm only speaking for me, will only take me so far. You know, I had to work um, a 12-step program in my life, and um, you know, I wasn't to realise this till later on down the track, a lot of years later down the track. Um, I went back out there again for another 20 odd years, and um, it got a lot worse. It got a lot worse. You know, um, yeah, it got to the point where um, I'd had enough. And um, to humble myself and to come back to AA is a big thing. But I did, I did, and um, and I love my life today. Okay, thank you. Uh, back to you, Carol. So, how did how did you start to recover? So, what what were the steps that you took? You know, progressively mm-hmm. to get detoxed and into AA. How long did that take you? Well, it took me um, to have many, many attempts because, unfortunately, um, being the person that I am and was, I was extremely rebellious. So for me to look at those 12 steps and say to myself, it's the first step that I'm powerless over alcohol and life is unmanageable, um, I found that extremely hard. At first, and I couldn't see. I'd look towards people and just think, well, you know, 
they haven't lost this, that and the other. And I felt that I'd drunk more than they'd spilt. And I was very, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was very, uh, I had a very sort of analytical mind that um, I just, you know, try and dissect what they were saying. And um, I'd try and find loopholes or ways around things um, so that I could justify my actions and my behaviours and think that it wasn't that bad. But it was that bad because, um, you know, as a woman alcoholic, I ended up in the realm of 18 rehabs, detoxic, you know, de- detoxification places and, um, yeah, in, in front of panels and doctors and psychiatrists and uh, I still wouldn't, uh, you know, concede to my innermost self. It was much easier to, back then to take a pill or just to... Uh, think that I was having a free ride in life by going into an institution and um, again was to find like-minded people so I wasn't really committed to it I I couldn't see that uh, it was back then that it was an illness and it was a disease I know today that it's um, world-renowned that you know this is you know it's just not um, a bug I have it's a you know it's an incurable irreversible disease called alcoholism Mm. Um, so did you find it easy to deceive medical practitioners about your condition? Oh, extremely, extremely. I suppose I might have to be careful what I say in case they're listening. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just found that um, I could sort of read up on things and just, uh, yeah, present a way that, um, you know, I knew exactly what to say, when to say. I think an alcoholic in full flight of alcoholism is very, you know, manipulative and uh, can master most things. I could, you know, if I mm. put my mind to something, I, I could, uh, you know, come through with it. But, um, you know, with this program of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you have to be 100% honest to yourself. You know, they used to say there's a, a saying that says that you can fool the whole world down the road, but you've got to look at yourself in the mirror. Yep. And uh, that's what really got me because uh, I, I could no longer point the finger and say it was this one, that one, or institution or whatever. I had to take um, real responsibility for my own actions and my own decisions. And I believe by working the program, um, I try each and every day to, um, you know, be, become more honest. You know, put it that way. I won't arrive at St. Carol, but yeah. Yeah, get close. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, so we might take another break. Our second song is again by Simone Keane, and it's called Evelina's Dream, and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Spider 
You might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can listen to us wherever you are, at home, work, driving, on public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath. Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your app. by law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law. 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome back. 
This is The Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Carol and Peter about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Peter, we left you where you said your life was getting progressively worse. So how did how did it work out after you left, walked away from AA for a number of years? So what was the thing that got you to think about coming back? The thing that got me to come back was basically my life was totally unmanageable and out of control. And, um, and I knew that I had limited years left on this earth if I kept rolling the way I was rolling. And, um, and luckily for me, I um, decided through um, a friend of mine who's been sober for 30 odd years, who I always kept in contact with, said, you know, the doors are always open, mate. Do you want to come back? And, um, and I did. I came back. And um, you've got to also remember, um, Bill, that um, the meetings are totally different today, you know, to what I was experiencing back in the 90s. Back in the 90s, there was a lot of ID meetings and um, fellowship sobriety and banging the table and saying, you don't pick up the first drink, that's all fine and dandy, but I needed something um, stronger than that. And today, AA is um, an amazing fellowship. It's a very strong fellowship. It's analytical. It's, there's all sorts of different kinds of meetings out there and... Um, you know that that's what I needed. I needed to to reconnect, and um, the spirituality side of the program is amazing for me. You know, um, today I don't pick up a drink one day at a time. My life's amazing. Um, recovery is an amazing journey. You know, um, clarity of mind and um, the connection that I have today with my fellow friends in AA is amazing. You know, life is is just you know a day at a time. It gets better and better, and. Um, you know, I wouldn't go back to the old, um, the old environment, the old way that I used to live. It's just not, not a viable option for me today. Yeah. So, do you think you've overcome the obsession to drink? I believe I've overcome the obsession. I think the obsession left me around, um, probably six months into my recovery. Um, that's contingent on the amount of meetings that I go to. I still go to a minimum of three to four meetings a week. But then, you know, I love going to meetings. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I love, you know, when I'm travelling rough, and I'm not talking about picking up a drink, but when I'm travelling rough, to to meet a newcomer is an amazing thing in my book. Um, to, to, to give back what I, I found, you know, and to be there for them. And that's the way the fellowship works. Is um, It's a fellowship for men and women that look out for each other in recovery. And it's, you know, it's the 12th step in a nutshell, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love. It takes me out of out of myself. It takes me away from my stuff, and and gives me the availability to help somebody else, which is an amazing journey. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, Carol, how about you? Um, getting into AA, yes. did did you find immediately that you got help? Um, well, I found for myself that when I got into AA, that it was back then. It was you know basically. For me, it was the identification, it was the stories. Um, I was quite, you know, uh, fascinated by uh, people's life's events and how they came from all diverse walks of life. And um, they used to say, you know, just keep coming back and uh, that's what I continue, you know, to do. Um, I don't pick up the first fatal drink and um, I too have made a a wealth of, um, you know, connections within um, AA um, you know, I can ring anyone, you know, at any time. And um, if I'm struggling, um, 
you know, I just hand it over and, um, you know, I talk to another fellow alcoholic to get the relief. Okay. Um, so what what was it that changed your view in AA? What was the thing that made you think AA can help? Well, I came to the... I came to the realisation that I I alone can't do this, that I have the problem of alcoholism. And, you know, it was the camaraderie ship and it was the people, um, you know, that I have, you know, total acceptance today that I cannot drink, that I am an alcoholic. If I pick up one drink, I have an allergy and a compulsion where I will just drink it out. And um, it's very hard, you know to be an informed you know alcoholic to have all the knowledge and then go out there and drink you know something drastic would happen and um, I don't choose or want today to be a statistic so you know I've done what's been suggested I work uh, the first and the third tradition but it goes much more the program is a program of life and by the time I arrived at AA I had no living skills no coping skills and um, I was just like uh a person just floating through, you know, life, and um, I had no ambitions. And today, you know, life's not like that. You know, I believe that um, a day at a time that I'm still recovering, but um, I have reaped the rewards, and I try, you know, to work with another sick, sick and suffering alcoholic. Um, it keeps me in good stead to see a newcomer through the door. And, you know, it takes me back to what I was like when I came in. You know, some are better, some are worse, but, you know, it's just the way it is. Okay. Uh, so did all your problems end once you stopped drinking? Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, no, they just begun. Yeah. Um, I believe for me, and it's only my take on it, that, uh, you know, alcoholism was just the tip of the iceberg. You know, one drinks to camouflage or cover up, you know, their, you know, their inhibitions or their... Um, you know, their insecurities, and that's what I did, you know. I'd sort of present to be fine and dandy, but, you know, um, it goes much deeper because, uh, we're, for me, I was actually, you know, traumatised by, you know, the illness of alcoholism. So it's taken me a long, long time to just, um, you know, really look at myself hard and see that um, I can't do this thing alone. I need, you know, the helping hand of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and there's people, you know, I can walk into any meeting today and find someone that I can open up to and talk to and feel, you know, the ease and comfort. Thank you. Um, Peter, did you have any fear coming back to AA after being out so long? I had fear to a degree. Um it was that expectation that um, the old self-centeredness that, um, you know, what will people think, you know, but, you know, I'm just a, uh, a person trying to get recovery, yeah, I'm trying to get my life back and um, it takes what it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was only um, maybe a couple of months back in the fellowship and it was like getting back on a bike, you know, all of a sudden I'd... I'd re-established and reconnected with this amazing fellowship and um, this time around you know it was totally different I was doing the suggested program of Alcoholics Anonymous I got myself a home group a strong home group a sponsorship and um, you know I got myself a sobriety date which you know back in the 90s I could never hold a sobriety date I kept a sobriety date and um, you know as I said I go to regular meetings and I get involved I do what we call service work in AA 
you know, I connect and try to be there for the suffering alcoholic when they come through the door. Um, you know, and you know, the majority of people in my life, apart from my work colleagues, are all my AA friends, and and I love that. You know, to me, it gives me a sense of purpose. Um, in the end of my drinking career, there was nobody in my life apart from a partner who had a belly full of me and was ready to run away. You know, and um, and I was left for myself. You know. Um, as we say in the fellowship isms, you know, I see me and, you know, it was time for me to do something about me. So, um, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. Okay. Um, so have you grown up in AA? I believe I have. Yep. A day at a time I have. It just what, gets better In and what better. way? Um, I have the availability today to think clearly, um, not to buy into people, places and situations as badly as I used to. Um, to turn that self-centeredness back a little bit, you know, that it's not all about me. Yeah. Um, today it's, um, you know, as I said before, you know, I hand my will and my life over to a higher power every morning. And, um, you know, I think about my actions every day and what's my part in it, you know. And there's a lot more to it than just not drinking, you know. Drinking's just a small aspect of it. My living was um, based on my alcoholism, you know. It's the way that I was living, you know, my alcoholism is a small part of it. You know, take the booze away and I'm still left with Peter. Yep. And um, Left know, with the thinking. Left with the yeah. thinking, that's yeah. right. Left with the thinking. And um, and that's why, you know, I, I connect with AA and I go to my meetings and um, and I learn so much, you know. It's like um, I heard it said recently, um, the saying was something like, um, um, open mouths don't get fed. Well, you know, I look at that in the analytical way. It's what I need to hear and what I share that I get my answers for on a daily basis at meetings, you know. When I'm not travelling well, it's what I talk to my friends about in AA. And I seem to get those answers that, that I need a day at a time. Mm, thank you. Um, how about you, um, Carol? Did you Were you able to mature in AA? Um, it took a long, long time, to be honest. Um, I probably came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous through my years of drinking, with the mentality probably of a 16 or 17 year old um you know i'd laugh you know it uh, you know inappropriate things and i'd say you know inappropriate things at the wrong time and um you know i believe that uh, you know my disease is like a a pandora's disease you know I sort of never really grew up, but being in um, AA, I finally, um, you know, have begun to grow up, and it's taken a hell of a long time, to be honest, because um, I think with the illness, it's like, um, you know, there's lots of aspects of it, but I had a lot of unresolved, inner, you know, inner child issues, and so to tap into those and uh, bring them to the light of day can be pretty, uh, you know, terrifying and, you know, pretty scary, but... To recover, I've believed today that um, you know my life is an open book. What you see is what you know. You know is what you get. And I'm no, I don't think that um, you know I'll, I'll ever be fully grown up. But you know I try to the best of my ability each and every day to be an adult. Yep. So in in AA they keep they say keep coming back. So how important is it to keep coming back to benefit from the AA program? Well, I have a mind that tells me if I stay away from meetings that I don't have, you know, an illness. And um, for me, I think by coming back, to, well, I know for coming back to the rooms, 
I hear the life-saving stories. I, I hear for that day what I need to hear. And uh, to keep coming back is that, you know, I've got a chance in life. Um, this disease is, is a disease of isolation. And, uh, you know, for many years I just sort of cocooned myself in my own thoughts, in my own, you know, inadequacies. And, um, you know, it was to the detriment of my own recovery. Um, you know, I've known many people that have stayed away and unfortunately I've been to so many unnecessary funerals. So, you know, to me... Um, it's paramount that I keep coming back. Mm. Um, so what about you, Peter? And Being in AA, has that helped you rebuild your relationships? Definitely. Tenfold. Yeah. Tenfold. Um, you know, I was only saying the other day that most of my working career, I'd get up and I'd go to work and I'd function, I'd come home. Today I go to work and I'm, I'm respected and I don't understand it. I don't understand why people like me, you know. <laughs> I just don't get that stuff. It's like... You know, it's just amazing stuff. People, I work in a crew and different crews want, they fight for me to be on their crew, you know, and I don't understand that stuff. It's a day at a time and it's just, I try to be the best person I can, yeah. I go to regular meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm there for the recovering alcoholic and that's all I do. That's all I do. But as uh, Carol said, you know, if I don't go to regular meetings, then I've got the kind of head that says I'm terminally unique and I'll isolate and I won't go to meetings and that stinking thinking comes back in and it's only a matter of time before, you know, I start running back on that self-will again and I'm back on that vicious cycle. So I love being connected in my life that I've got today and it's through the power of Alcoholics Anonymous and a higher power of my understanding. Yeah. Spirituality. Thank you. Um, Carol, so how has AA helped you re-establish your relationship with your daughter? Um, we have a much more open-based, you know, relationship today. Um the relationship I have, you know, with my daughter is quite amazing. I mean, we still have our ups and downs, but not to the degree that it was when I was drinking. Um, but it takes many years to heal, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think that she can forgive me overnight. And, um, you know, I try to the best of my ability to work this program and to give away what was freely given to me, to her and her family. Um, we're only but examples. And, um, you know, today I can be relied on. I am, uh, you know, capable. I'm there for her if she needs me, if she wants me. And um, I think for myself that I've become, you know, a better human being, a better mother. So, okay, yeah. thank you. Um, if anybody would like to know more about AA or Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on 1300 222 or go online at aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Peter and Carol for coming into into the 3CR studio and sharing their alcoholism recovery stories with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, we have Belenoir, the Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Tell Jim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Uh, to check us out, we've got a song by Ray Ramon. Uh, it's called You've Said Enough, and it's featuring Alicia Solomon, and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. I hope you enjoy it.
You've said enough, now what do you mean? Settle down, don't you see? You've said enough, you've said enough, now what do you mean? Na, 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 yeah. Settle down, settle down, don't you see? Don't you see? So much talks, you've said enough, you've said enough listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.